when you learn Facebook ads yourself or, or Instagram or these other types of ads, and then you get the basics down, you get your product right, and then you outsource that to someone else because you don't want to be the full-time Facebook ads person in your company, then you know if they know what they're doing. And so how many of us have like hired someone to do something and then you realize like you're better at it than they are and it's demotivating, but you got to know the basics so that you can find talent and know if they know how to do their job well. Welcome to Badass Digital Nomads, where we're pushing the boundaries of remote work and travel, all while staying grounded with a little bit of old school philosophy, self-development, and business advice from our guests. Hey there, Kristen from Traveling with Kristen here, and welcome to episode 84, I believe, of Badass Digital Nomads podcast. I have such a fun interview today with Kevin Arutia, the founder of Voy Media, which is one of the leading digital marketing and Facebook ads agencies in the world with nearly 200 million in revenue. Kevin is also the host of the Digital Marketing Fastlane podcast, which has an astounding 437 reviews and a 4.9 star rating in the Apple Store. So we got some catching up to do, guys. <laughs> Shout out if you've left a review for this show, by the way. But get ready to take some notes today and capture your ideas during this episode because you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn and you're going to laugh, according to Ed Her, one of my listeners. You're going to learn how to make money with Facebook ads, whether it's for yourself and your online business or yourself as a solopreneur or for future clients in case you are interested in learning how to make money running a small business digital agency yourself. Kevin takes you through how long it takes to learn the skills that you'll need to use Facebook ads for your business or to help other people, how to find your first customers, and how much you can expect to make per client Per month if you're running their Facebook or Instagram ads for them. He also gets really candid about the pros and cons of running a digital marketing agency and how to know whether you should scale it or keep it small. We also cover a lot of his ninja guerrilla marketing tactics like how to rank at the top of Google, some of his SEO secrets, and also what we think the most lucrative affiliate industries are. And in the lightning round, you'll learn some of the tech tools that Kevin uses to manage his company and creative projects with remote teams, the one book he says everyone should read, and also some of his top productivity tips and how you can live and work in Taiwan with the Taiwan Employment Gold Card, something I had never heard of before. Bottom line, I really loved this unfiltered conversation with Kevin. He shares a lot of his unconventional marketing tactics and strategies with us, including who he blatantly copies. And he takes us behind the scenes of how he and his digital nomad partner, Wilson, have built multiple successful businesses in a lot of random industries with absolutely no background, no experience, 
and no related college degrees. So we're talking everything from phone apps to a cleaning company and now one of the top digital agencies in the world with clients like Lacoste and Zumba. Kevin has a really interesting perspective on business and remote work because he's been working remotely since he was 18 years old. He's a serial entrepreneur and he has experience with tech companies and startups in Silicon Valley. So lots of value today. And if you run a remote business of any kind or travel or work with people in other countries, then make sure you check out the borderless bank accounts with TransferWise that let you send, receive, or spend money anywhere in the world with ridiculously low fees. You can get your first transfer of up to 500 British pounds for free at travelingwithkristin.com slash transferwise. And now let's get into the show. Well, welcome so much, Kevin, to the show. How is everything there in New York City right now? It's good so far. We're talking earlier. It's very gloomy today, very gloomy day. So trying to get the energy to be excited. But yeah, it's good so far. That's why I got a standing desk because I feel like it's given me so much more energy. And I just saw, I actually copied my brother who is a surf photographer and he's had a standing desk for years. And I'm like, wait, you don't even have a chair at all. And he's like, no. And um, I started doing like 10 or 20% per day standing up. And now I'm up to like 80 or 90% per day. And it definitely, definitely helps. But sometimes when I'm really not feeling like working, I feel like it makes me spend more energy. And so then I just have to sit down. (laughs) Yeah. Which one do you have? So I have a standing desk too. I'm sitting right now. So when I'm doing like calls or like sales calls, I'm usually standing because yeah, like you said, it just gives you more energy. You're like in that mode of talking and then you can like move your feet. You can like kind of like pretend you're talking to somebody. And yeah, I I have a standing desk too. And I have like a, do you also have the pad? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You need the pad. Yeah. So for yeah. everyone listening, you can get my exact standing desk and the foot pad yeah. in my Amazon store. Just Google traveling with Kristen Amazon and there you have it. We'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah. But I got the riser that goes on top of the desk. But uh, I kind okay. of wish that I got just the electric one that goes up and down. Yeah. Because it's not that much more. But I think I was thinking like if I'm going to move it around to different apartments and different houses, I want to have one that's yeah. easier to carry. So it's like my hybrid model here. And then have you been in New York the whole year? Yeah, so I've been here the whole year so far. So I mean, I was basically in January and February, I was like, I was in like Taiwan and Japan for like a month or two. Mm-hmm. And then I came back to New York uh, because we have like a, we have like our, our, at least for a company here, Boy Media, it's half a remote and half a local. So we're kind of like always in this weird situation of local plus remote. But even though for us, for our company, we would have some days where we just were fully remote because half our team is remote and like half is local. So we want to, at least for us internally, we would say like, hey, we want the local people to know how it feels to be remote because it's such a different workflow. And we want to make sure that they know like, hey, if you're not next to that person next to you, how do you communicate effectively? How do you sort of say like this thing needs to be done? And that's sort of like kind of how we were always mixing it up. That's why like even here during this pandemic, it's in fine because we were already kind of preparing for it. Like me and Wilson were always in this, like, so Wilson's other part of the agency. He's always been remote. He's, he travels like every three or four months. So we were always in this mix of what type of company do we want to be? 
and it's always like i'm here so we have some people here he's always there and he has like other employees are remote with him so it's kind of like we're always like it's like we didn't, we didn't know right so we were always trying to implement this stuff but at least for me and wilson it's like we were always remote type of workers before because we were always like wilson was a designer i was a programmer so we were always kind of doing this no matter what but like you probably know like some people have never worked remote and it's like so crazy for them that you're doing this. And for me, I'm just like, how is that weird? I've been doing this since I was like 18 or 19. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. I feel like 100% the same way because it's been possible to work remotely for 50 years. And so a bunch of us just kind of organically adopted that style of working because we could. And when I think about going from real estate to working from home, and at first I rented an yeah. office because I thought I needed to have an office, but then no one ever used it. It's yeah. like we were all in the same town in Costa Rica within a five or 10 minute drive from each other. And we had an office in the middle and everyone worked from home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was in 2011. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it because working in the real estate office, it was like this giant, beautiful office, but very echoey. Yeah. And everyone's desks are in there. So every time someone was on a sales call, like you can hear everything. And I'm thinking back, like, how did I ever focus on yeah. work or concentrate? Once you go remote, you never go back. And now I see people on Twitter from San Francisco. They're like, yeah. oh, it turns out that um, it's cheaper to just rent a really nice house yeah. and use that as an office. Or everyone work from home and it's just like way better than working in cubicles and like commuting somewhere. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, finally. It's so crazy because we had an office here in, in the city. We actually still have it because obviously you probably know when you get an office, at least in the city, it's like three year leases. Yeah. So we're still paying for that. And it's crazy because we're paying 10K a month for no one to be there. And of course, obviously you're trying to like figure out with the landlord or like, hey, what can we do to like get out of this clause, right? But you probably know back then there was this whole like, an open office yeah pretty much like at least for our office it was just like rows of tables with like people working next to each other and we then installed like these things called room i'm not sure if people have heard of it it's like r-o-o-m it's like a startup that was basically saying like hey because we know this open office is a big thing now here's a cubicle that you can install that's soundproof so that way people can that. Yeah, yeah it's like the craziest thing and we actually had one for our office because like people were like i can't work i need like a quiet room so then we installed these into this it's like the reverse like before it was like, everybody gets desks or sort of like uh, offices. And then it's like, no, that's not collaborative. Let's all do open office. And it's like, whoa, I can't work here because it's too, too many people. It's so crazy how within so many quick years, like the mindset shifts of what's the perfect work environment? Where should you work? And I think personally, it's like kind of what you said before, working from home. It's like your own space. You can do whatever you want. You organize it however you want. No one can like judge you. What do you have on your desk? What are your plans? It's like, this is my sort of place I can work and be efficient. At least for me, I just got like these perfect lights. I got like my standing desk, my chair, my mat. I'm like, this is what I want and how I need it. Whereas like in an office, it's kind of feel weird if you have too much stuff. Like, why do you have all these plants, right? It's like this little <laughs> weird, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I actually just saw a video last night by Lost LeBlanc. He's a travel blogger with like, I think he has like 2 million subscribers oh, on wow. YouTube. And his home base is in Bali but he hasn't been able to go back there all oh, year. Man. And he was saying on this video, I think he was in Dubai when he filmed the video. It was just like talking to the camera. And he's like, I miss my home base so much. And I just wish I could go home to my desk in my chair and just with my laptop and my display and yep. sit there for 12 or 16 hours. And I was like, I really relate to that because it's so annoying to be in like hotel rooms and Airbnbs working yep. on your laptop when you have this 
whole office set up. And that's something that I think the remote workforce, we haven't really figured that out completely yet. I used to go to co-working spaces during after hours because they had all kinds of different monitors and displays. And I would go there at night and work and edit videos from a display because they were used up by people during the day. And it's like, you just have to have your, your comfortable workspace. But yeah, it's definitely a pet peeve of mine that now all of these headlines are coming out with Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, which a lot, I wrote a viral article about that because I was so pissed off that Facebook was becoming the poster child for remote work. I was like, it's Mark Zuckerberg's fault that everyone's in open offices to begin with. And he's the one who's been saying this for a decade that everyone needs to be in these open offices. And now all of a sudden he's like the work from home guru. It's like all the corporate CEOs who are like, oh, remote work won't work for our company. They're now being quoted and like, the titles yep. and headlines of these mainstream media articles. I'm like, these people don't know. They don't know what they're really talking no. about. <laughs> and that's the thing too. Like, I, I think it's funny you said that because I was thinking about to my friends, like all these big corporate companies are like, no, you can't work from home. It's not possible. And then I'm just like, you're doing it right now. And why wasn't it possible before where it is now? It's the same thing. And it's like... Mindset. Yeah, it's the craziest like concept. And I think it's kind of like, you probably know, Kristen too. It's like working from home I think people relate to like relate that to back in the day where people are like, oh, you're just not going to do anything. Yes, of course, there's people that are going to do anything. But that's at any place. You can literally go to an office and not do anything. And you probably had employees. I've had employees too. Right? You literally will see them in the office and they still don't care about it working. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think people were like very like, oh, if you work from home, you're not going to do anything. I'm like, yeah, then let those people go because then they're going to have to eventually, wow, I actually have to work like to make money. Right. So it's like interesting. Yeah. My friend Richie Norton has a podcast and I catch it every so often when I'm on a walk, as you were saying, phone calls and podcasts while I'm on a walk. And last night, the one that I heard, he was saying, this is an opportunity for people who used to work in offices and in corporate environments to really stand out through action and results. Because before it was the whole political climbing the corporate ladder thing. And now it's like, everyone's kind of on an equal playing field. I mean, there's definitely pros and cons, but if you really get stuff done and get results, you're going to stand out, not because people saw you in the office working late, but because you actually got results that you can see in black and white on the screen. (laughs) So that's an opportunity for anybody listening that if you ever felt like you were left out of let's say the good old boys club or out of the politics of the office. Now you can kind of make up for lost time and have an edge without having to have that FaceTime with the boss or with so-and-so. Yeah. And it's exactly, I think it's so important because even for us here, like boy, we're like 25 people. It's so obvious for us about who's working or not working, especially when it's remote because it's just output. It's not just like what you said. It's like, oh, if you see them a lot or like, hey, it's a great lunch. And you're kind of like, they're kind of friendly. Like, yeah, you know, it's like they're friends, you know, stuff like that. It's very easy now to just sort of see who's working or not working. And it's crazy how obvious it is sometimes, especially when you're like, at least for us, we're like an agency, right? Stuff is like deadlines. You actually have to like meet deadlines. But yeah, I think exactly what you said. It's much easier, better to stand out because you can actually like show people like, hey, look, I actually know what I'm talking about versus being at the office and people just like, by just showing up, people think like you do great work. Right. Just by like blending in in the back of the staff meeting or something and you don't get any time to talk or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But 
tell us, let's get in a little bit so that people can get to know you better into your backstory. Give us kind of your elevator pitch bio because you have a really diverse background and it's very similar to how my clients tend to find their way when they're trying to transition from the job that they thought that they were supposed to have or the area of study that they thought that they were going into. And then throughout the first few years and sometimes first few decades of their career, they realize something's wrong and they want to go in a different direction. But then there's all of these sunk costs that they they already have this degree or they already have this on their resume. So yeah, give us a little bit about your background and how you ended up as the CEO of Voy Media. Yeah. So my background, yeah, like I do marketing now, but my background is actually in computer science. So growing up, I always wanted to do programming video games. You know, this was like when I was like, what, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, I'm 31 now. I've always grew up wanting to do like video games. So then at this time, I was like, okay, how do I make video games? So then I started learning about this thing called programming. And that led me into learning about programming and startups and just like making your own entrepreneurship, making your own business. Because then that led me into reading like stuff like TechCrunch, TechMeme. And just learning about this whole like Silicon Valley thing that I was like, grew up in New York in Long Island. And I kept reading like all the startups are in Silicon Valley. So that kind of, I kept reading about that. And that's sort of like something I've always wanted to do. So when I went to college in upstate New York, my dream was always to get this computer science degree and move out to Silicon Valley because that is what I wanted to do. And even then during this time, I've always wanted to just build stuff because as a programmer, I, I like making things. I started my own like web development company in college with Wilson and we were making like iPhone apps, web apps. Uh, at this time, I was learning Ruby on Rails. That was like a really big programming language that just came out. And I was like, whoa, this is a game changer. Like I can make websites so fast. And I was like building a bunch of stuff. I remember building this website called like Monday.me because uh, I saw Quora, that question and answer website yeah. came out. So I saw it. And I was like, oh, I want to build one like that for colleges. And that because... Going back to what you said about Mark Zuckerberg, I was like, oh, how did Mark Zuckerberg start? Oh, he built this for colleges. So I'm going to do like the same like strategy and make a question answer for colleges. So that's where that came from. That's a cool idea. Yeah. I've always like kind of like make things. Then I guess it comes from programming. Like I just like wasn't afraid to just make things, even though like I just never got them to work. At least for me, I was like kind of, I always felt like, hey, I'm learning something. And I really wanted to get into like Y Combinator. I'm not sure if you heard of it. It's like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I mean, Wilson applied and we didn't get in, but that was like a thing I've always wanted to get in because I was like, oh, I got to keep building stuff. I was reading all their stuff. It's like their Kool-Aid. It's like you can believe what they're saying because it's like, anyways, I eventually went out to San Francisco. I got a job at Mint.com, like that TurboTax company. Yeah, it's a finance website. It's a finance website. Yeah, for like personal finance. So within a month of working there, I always tell people like, I knew I didn't want to work there. At that moment, they just got acquired by Intuit. So it got like really corporate. And for me... It wasn't that dream I had of, oh, I'm going to work at a startup. It's going to be crazy, exciting. I'm going to work nine to 10 every day. When I was there, it was literally like nine to five every day. You never worked at night. You never worked during weekends. And at this time, I was like, oh, 22. And I tell people all the time, like, this would be the perfect job if it was like 50 or 60. <laughs> like, I just like want to work on stuff. I was like, I've been working on stuff my whole like college career about startups ideas. Honestly, I tell people all the time, like, I and mean, you probably tell people all the time, like, I just felt like I wasn't going to learn anything. And I didn't want to get stuck in that phase of just being complacent with the skills. And that's sort of, even for me, when I was like applying for jobs after college, I would go to an interview and sometimes I would be like, oh, wow, that interview was so easy and I got the job offer. I'll be like, I don't want that. If it was too easy, I just felt like I'm not going to learn more. I'd rather be challenged. And that's sort of how I was like always been thinking about things. So within a month of uh, Intuit, uh, sorry, Mint, 
I knew I wanted to quit. And of course, like you tell your friends like, hey, I'm going to quit. They're like, why? It's such a good company. Like, you know, these benefits. But I was just like, I don't want to do that thing that people do for two years. And then they're like, two years. I'm like, that's a lot of life for a place that you don't like. Yeah. Right? And it's like, it's not that I didn't like it. It just it wasn't for me. I think you I kind of what you said earlier. If it isn't for you, then you got to do something else because it's your life, your decision. No one else is living it for you. Like people can tell you you want, but you're the one that has to wake up every day and go do that thing. And I think, I think that can apply to like mostly anything in life too, where everybody's got an opinion and ultimately it's your decision. Right. But basically after six months, I quit and I went to work for a startup called Zarly. And then I was there for two years because that is like, if you look at that Silicon Valley type of HBO show, that was exactly kind of how it was there. It was like so cool. much fun working all the time, working on new ideas. We were VC funded. We were like going out together. We were like <laughs> hanging out. It was like everything I read happened. And I was like, this is exactly what I was like working for. Right. So like Silicon Valley, like the yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so everything that I read was like what it was there and great friends there, super smart people there. Ultimately the company like is still running, but didn't work as well as we wanted to. But that experience really still cemented into me what I wanted like to do my own thing. I was like, oh, I still want to do my own thing. This was still so exciting for me. And then that's kind of when I left to, to back to New York and started my, my first company, which is my cleaning company called Made Sailors. And this came out of because all the stuff I was doing, I was building things and I was trying to figure out how come I'm building all this stuff, but I'm not getting customers. <laughs> Eventually you realize I need customers, right? And right. then the thing for me, I always tell people is like, why didn't I think about this earlier? Because I think this goes back to sort of when I was like first learning about tech and startups. And what I kept hearing all the time was like, hey, if you have a really cool product or a cool service, customers will just find you. And I really like believe that at the time because during the time companies like Dropbox, Gmail came out, it was like the first time something unique like them came out. And it was like, whoa, this is so crazy. Like, how did this thing happen? And if you look at like, the founders like Drew Houston, they're like, yeah, when you have like a unique product or you need service, customers just find you. So I was like, oh, I need to make something like that. But obviously it turns out that story is just marketing in itself because you want people to believe like, oh, you're not getting marketed to them. You're just a, this product is a good product. Right. It's like similar to Slack nowadays. People are like, oh my God, Slack grew so fast. And like everybody's just Slack. And then you tell people like, yeah, it's such a great, crazy organic growth. But if you look at Slack, like uh, jobs, they have like 50 marketers. You're getting marketed all the time, but they've done such a good job to make you believe that you're not getting marketed to them. And that it's the only option that everyone has to have it. Exactly. So like, I think that is great marketing because if you believe that, then it's like, wow, you, you really, they did a good job. And I think it's similar to like, um, I was reading this book by the Netflix co-founder. Oh. And I forgot what it was called. But basically the founder, obviously everybody knows Reed, which is like the current CEO. He always has that story why he started Netflix. And it was because obviously you probably heard it too. It's like, hey, because Blockbuster charged me a late fee. And I saw that, right? Yeah. And the original founder was like, that's not how Netflix started at all. He said he thought of an idea in a car while driving with Reed while they're trying to think about startups to build. Really? Yeah. So that story is completely said that's completely false. But they say it so many times now that everybody believes that story. And Reed doesn't like deny it. He doesn't say it's true. He just says, yeah, that's our story. Because that's their brand story. Yeah, because that's their brand story. Aww. So like the original guy, I his name was really smart book. I forgot what the book was called. Uh, I read it on Amazon. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And he's actually a marketer that started Netflix. Reed was like an investor that invested into his company. And then after a year, it's crazy. It's kind of a crazy story, kind of like the Facebook story where the original guy created Netflix. After a year, Reed was like saying like, hey, I don't, basically said like, hey, I don't think you're running the company really well. I'm going to kick you out. And I'm going to take over. And 
pretty much that's like the real story of Netflix in the book. Whoa, I got to read that. I'll try to find it. We can put it in the show notes. Yeah. But it's a really interesting story because obviously everybody knows Reed now and he credits Netflix for Reed. But like he was the original idea of Netflix and Reed was just like an investor that invested in them and then took over and of course made it to what it is what it now. But that brand, it goes back to the marketing, the brand story. It's all these big companies you probably hear have a story that someone's made up and they say it so many times that then eventually everybody believes it, like everything you see right now, right? And that's a way more interesting story about yeah. Blockbuster yep. because it's got like the underdog and the competitive stuff and like the old company that had the monopoly on the market. And yeah. that's just yeah. way more memorable than like two guys driving in a car and one was an investor and they were trying to think of business ideas. Exactly. And that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's it's uh, that whole story in like, basically he says like in in one or two sentences, you have like the pain point the competitors, the underdog, everything you just said, you have it in the like two sentences. Circle. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, like, the oh yeah. Story I, arc. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The whole story arc in one, two sentences because everybody's like, oh yeah, Blockbuster, I hate those late fees. So like you feel that pain. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. So it's with that, yeah. So but, you go back to New York, you're like, okay, I'm going to quit this job, go back to New York. Did you start building the cleaning company first or were you like, oh, I'm building all this stuff with no customers. So let me go back to basics and figure out what's the problem I'm solving for people and how do I communicate that I can solve it for them? Yeah. So at that time, when I was starting the made company, I built the website. And in the beginning, I think like anybody, I was doing it like custom coding, custom programming because my background is programming. After like a month or two, I was like, I didn't want to get to that phase like where I thought like the program or like the website development was the most important. I thought I was realizing, hey, getting customers is more important. So after a month or two, I switched to WordPress because WordPress made it so much easier to like just drag and drop stuff. And I was realizing that no one cares what your website's made in, how it's coded. It's can you get people to that website? And I think sometimes people get back then I was like very in that mindset of like, oh, I want a really clean website. I want to do Ruby on Rails. But like really customers don't care. They don't even know what anything's built these days. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So then I started learning using some other tactics and skills that I learned. So I was reading about like Airbnb story. And I was like, how did Airbnb get customers? And I saw that they were posting on Craigslist. So then I posted on Craigslist too. So for me, it's like a mix of like stuff I was reading from like other companies, right? So I was posting on Craigslist. Hey, we have a cleaning company. You can call us. And that's how I got my first clients. Um, and then we also used that tactic to get maids as well to work for us. So we were hiring them as contractors saying, hey, look, we don't have any jobs right now, but I want to bring you on board to like our platform. And then when you have jobs, we would call them and tell them like, hey, we can do it this time. So that's how we got initial customers. And then like after, after probably, you know, too, like after a while, like you're not getting too many customers. So then you're just like Googling how to get customers or how to get free traffic. And then that's what I learned about like SEO. And then that got me learning more about SEO and sort of how to optimize your website. I started reading like Moz.com, Ren Fishkin, really big SEO blogger, trying to realize like everything that was going on there. And, and then during this time, I think right now everybody knows like Google Maps have like the listings of like food places or restaurants. When I was first starting my cleaning company, that was that just came out. So we were able to get into, onto that train really early and we were able to like get, go on those rankings and that's how we got a lot more customers. And that's when I realized, oh wow, like SEO is actually pretty powerful. Let me learn more. And then I started doing obviously ranking for my cleaning company. But then I started learning about like, what are people else doing to make money online with SEO? And that's when you learn about like, Amazon affiliate marketing, right? And you're like, so then I started, doing, I started learning all these like affiliate marketing stuff. And I always tell people like, sometimes learning, even though I was running the cleaning company, I was still interested in seeing like how other like nomads were making money because I was like, there's some tactics in there that you can probably take for your own company. Even though I was like, wow, these guys are making so much money running this like affiliate websites, content websites. Like what can I take from that? 
to apply to my cleaning company that I'm building here locally in New York. So I think sometimes it's useful to sort of see tactics in other industries that you can potentially make because people, so that's sort of like how I started doing more SEO and marketing that way. And that's what I learned about like this whole like crazy space of like marketing and like affiliate marketing and all these travelers just making tons of money, just like selling these websites and stuff like that. Yeah. For sure. I love that story because you just kept following your curiosity, which I talked about, I think it was in, I don't know when this episode will go out, but I did an episode on eight skills you need as a digital nomad. And one of them was curiosity and learning. Like you have to be like, I don't know most things, but I have the tools to figure it out because I have a brain and I have the internet. And when you combine those two things, magic happens. And all the stuff I'm doing right now, I didn't know how to do two years ago. Yeah. When I bought a camera, I bought a GoPro, like the most basic GoPro, the hero, I think it was like a little square. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know how to record it. It's a one button. It's like on and off. (laughs) And um, I had a camera for like a year. I didn't even know I needed a microphone for it. So like all my original videos were really crappy. And so when you look back and see like how much you could learn, I didn't know anything about SEO. And now tons of my stuff ranks number one on Google. Yeah. And a lot of it was accidental. And then I'm like, how did that get there? And then I had to figure out what, what was I doing right to get that to rank there? And then pulling things from, I'm still to this day, an online gambling affiliate. So just whatever I learned in that, which I got into because I started a relocation company for poker players. And I started understanding how the gaming industry works. And like those people are making a ton of money. I wish I was more interested in that because I think it's the most lucrative affiliate networks that you can be in is online gambling. And I went to some of their conferences and like Barcelona and Oh, you did lucky. Yeah. And cool places. And I was just trying to figure out like, do I want to get into this? Do I want to compete with these people? And I decided I'm I'm not even that into gambling. So I'm not going to go for it. But, but what I learned from that, I have now applied to travel and my content that I'm doing now. Unfortunately, the commissions are way smaller. Less. Yeah. But still, it's like, you know, you're applying those skills to each thing. And um, it's funny that you came up with the concept of creating a media agency, like a digital agency, because that's what Gary Vaynerchuk did. He didn't have a background in marketing. He has a background in liquor stores and wine. But when he learned how to promote his business the same way that you learned how to promote your cleaning business, he realized, I have all the skills of a digital marketer. Yeah. And then start doing that for other people. And that's actually kind of in my like, like my 10 year plan. Yeah. I'm like, I would like to have a digital agency that's making videos and doing that sort of thing for other companies. But I'm like, well, let me um, yeah. do my stuff first <laughs> before I'm doing it for everybody else. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of these kind of ads, I'm sure everybody yeah. listening has. It's all of these people who are trying to make online courses or webinars or some sort of funnel that's teaching people how to make money online. And that thing is doing Facebook ads for yep. people. Yeah. <laughs> so I always wonder why are those people, are they making more money off of telling people how to make money online than they are actually running their own digital agency? Because I feel like that's such a scalable business model. Why wouldn't you just build a bigger agency and get bigger clients and do more volume on ads? Why would you 
distract from your core business to go tell other people basically how to compete with you. Yeah. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's so many of those people. And I've actually thought about this too. But even for us, like here at Void Media, we're 25 people. And me and Wilson at one point had an idea of like, hey, let's grow the company to 200, 300 people. And now that we're growing the company slowly, we're realizing that it's just like very hard to maintain the same quality of work. But also not just that, it's also just like managing people is very Mm -hmm. hard. And I think a lot of people don't want to do that. Um, When you work with a team that's small, like five to 10 people, that's very easy. But even for us, like 25, it's like, you just run into things that like, I'm not even thinking about like, oh, like, hey, what's my vacation policy? Or I'm taking vacation days today. I'm just like, oh, it's like not a good time today. It's like, you got to like think about stuff. You have to think about more things that you weren't ready for. And when you have a smaller team, it's just easier. That's why I always tell people like these guys teaching it, they know that they can just be one or two people like digital middleman essentially and have more residual income doing like coaching of this stuff because it's just easier. And also... Running an agency, I think the biggest thing that people don't realize that they don't teach you in these courses is dealing with clients and how emotionally draining that is. And that is probably the reason why people start agencies and then they quit agencies because I've talked to people that they have a client calls every week and they're like, I'm so stressed out thinking about that client call because the results aren't bad. And that is like, so for some people, it's like anxiety building. So they don't teach you that in the courses. They say, hey, look, it's so easy to get clients. And I'm like, the weekly calls when things aren't going well, that is not a fun call to be on. Right. So I think a lot of them realize that like, hey, I don't want to be doing this forever. Let me just make a course because I have had some, like anything, I've had some success, but I can teach that small success to other people. But that's sort of where my I think about it. It's growing an agency. It's like similar to like the maids company. Growing it is great, but we just need to hire more cleaners, more staff. Mm -hmm. Just growing a team is much harder than I think people sometimes realize. And when they're actually growing it, they realize, oh, wow, I actually want to be smaller because you kind of lose a lot of that freedom because you're not thinking about just yourself anymore. Like you're two, three people. You're thinking about like, even for me, like I have 25 people. I'm like, whoa, my payroll is massive. Like I got to like think about this every time. Like you lose a client. It's like, whoa, like that's actually like, okay, let me go check my P&L. Okay, we're still good for the next, you know, X amount of months, right? Right. Just like a different mindset, I think. And, and I think it's like, it depends on where you want to be. Like for me, as a, like for me, I want to grow into a big company. But I know other people that are like, oh, I would never want to be where you're at, Kevin, because it's like too much thinking. I'm like, that's okay. Like you can just be three, four people and be happy because you can make a lot of money. And sometimes that's just better. But for, at least for me, I don't know. I want to be like much bigger. And that's sort of like my, my goal, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I think about that sometimes too, because... I used to feel self-conscious actually when I was traveling through, let's say the Delta Sky Club or something. And here I am a digital nomad. And let's say it's like 2013. Still no one knows what digital nomads are at that point. And I'm just like a solopreneur traveling around the world, doing whatever I want, making like a solid six figures a year, but like complete freedom. Yeah. Like people call me, they're like, Hey, come meet me in Manila or meet me in Paris. And I just would fly over there and yeah, just like hundreds of thousands of airline miles and like really just having a good time, but also feeling like insignificant in a way, because I would go through the sky club and I would see all of these 
really important people or seemingly yeah. important yeah. people on these phone calls and their suits. And I'm just wearing like jeans and a yeah. t-shirt and a hoodie. And I was like, am I doing it wrong? <laughs> like, should I have a bigger company or should I, I don't know. I was like, I don't really have any of these kinds of responsibilities that all these people are talking about loudly and obnoxiously on their phone calls. And so, yeah, I always would would think about that. I think it's because, you know, we're bred so much in Mm -hmm. the U.S. to have this achievement mentality and always bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I try to keep myself in check because sometimes I'll look at bigger YouTubers and some of the people who I know, like I know they're making six figures a month off of just AdSense alone. But yet they hustle so much. Yeah. Like I can tell they're working a lot because there's no limit to what they want. Like they want to have like millions of dollars a month in income coming from all of these different ways. And I just wonder if they're going to wake up one day and be like, wow, for the last 10 years, I could have done whatever I want and traveled wherever I want and had like seven figure year income. But instead I just was behind my computer the whole time. And then I looked up and I'm like 40 or 50. Like it's like, Oh, and now there's a pandemic and you can't go anywhere. So I just kind of wonder like, where's that line for people? I think it's something for everyone to think about because what is the whole, whole point of working is like to create things in the world, but then also you have to save money so that you can retire one day. But it's like, what if you could just have a comfortable life and have income and have that ultimate freedom without having all of the stress that comes with being like a fortune 500 CEO or running all these businesses. So I think that's a question for, for everyone to ponder and maybe some years of life are different than others. Maybe you go through a phase where you're like, you just want to work all the time. And then you're like, you know what, (laughs) I'm going to take a break. I think it's exactly what it is. It's even for me, I think about it sometimes because I talk to Wilson about this all the time and he kind of travels a lot and he kind of just does whatever he wants. But like he was traveling for like a year because he like technically retired. He was like, what, 27, right? Like, but after that year, he kind of felt like, what am I doing with my life? Right. That's why we started Void Media was because he was like, I just want to like have a purpose, build something. Yeah. Have a purpose, build something yeah. like work with a team. And so that's kind of like, yeah, everybody, everybody goes through phases and it's like, you have to like just balance it out um, because I think everybody wants to have like some sort of purpose and, but again, there's people out there that I know that are just perfectly fine saying like, yeah, I just travel and make like 300K a year, not even thinking about it. But that's like, everybody's different. And I get jealous of that too. I'm just like, oh man, I wish I was me. I know that my mindset is just a little different than theirs. So yeah. at least for me, when I was like kind of first doing this and maybe you, I was always thinking like, why isn't everybody like me? But I realized like everybody's a little different. Like I'm different. You're different. Like the way you think is different. The way we sort of think about problems is different. And I told people like, I always tell people like, this is why there's so many, like for even for cleaning companies, there's like hundreds of cleaning companies. What makes mine different than others? This is the way I thought about it is different than the way you're thinking about it. Same thing with like every podcast or like even my agency, right? Why is your agency different? And like, we're different because my life experiences, I started this, right? Everybody's unique in a way, right? So yeah, I, yeah, I think sometimes we have, tr- I, I, it's like anything. It's like, it's your life, your decision. It's so cheesy, but you got to do what makes you happy. And then you'll figure it out eventually, I think. Yeah. Like there's people who want to be the president or the prime minister of a country. I do not ever want that. And then there's people like Gary Vee who want to buy a football team. I couldn't care less. And then there's people who want to live in Thailand for $10,000 a year. And that's great too. Yeah, Like they would be completely content just like having enough money to live in paradise for a while. So everyone, there's everything in between. And now we're seeing that there's this global market of unique human beings who are all offering something different. And the one thing that 
everyone would do good to realize is that what they have to offer is completely unique in the world and will never be replicated again. So it's like whatever you're bringing into fruition in the world, that's your thing. No one else can copy it. Even if you copy elements of what other people are doing and put it together, your brain is the only one with that, uh, those thoughts and your life experience to put that together. But it is interesting about the agency concept because like you can have it as a really small agency and then you can make it really big. So would you say that this is like for somebody who knows nothing about digital marketing, but they're interested in having a revenue stream that allows them to work from home Mm -hmm. or travel, like how long would it take somebody to learn Facebook ads, for example, to a level where they can go out and get one, two, three, five clients a month, make mm-hmm. like a thousand or whatever per month. I don't know what the pricing yeah. is. I guess it depends on like what, how many ads they're buying and stuff. But is that realistic for, for people to do? I think it's very realistic to do within like at least two to three months. If you mm-hmm. like study YouTube, get courses, and it's like anything. It's like you just need to know a little bit more than the client you're pitching. And yeah. I think sometimes people think that like you need to know like so much more advanced stuff. And yeah, you do if you're pitching like these huge bigger clients. But if you work with a lot of smaller businesses that have like maybe like like a lawn mowing business, those people have no clue what Facebook is. And you probably know more even just by basic knowledge of like Googling what is Facebook ads. And you just need to just present yourself in a way. But within two or three months, I think you can go and get that. And then even for these small businesses, you can charge them like $500 a month. So you just need like two to three. You're already making $1,500 a month. And the best thing about these smaller ones is that like, you basically just need to do maybe one or two calls like a month. Because you're not like, there's not that much results that you're going to give them. It's like, hey, you're getting leads. Okay, great. Bye. Like, And they're probably really, yeah. getting more than they were before without having those ads. So yeah, it's like, it's very possible. And, that, that, and that's why... Going back to like what we were saying before, the course, that's why these people make these courses because it's so lucrative to be like, to say, teach that. And people do have results because it's so possible. Like all you need to do is just reach out to local people. And I think about it like when I was doing SEO uh, back then, there were so many local SEO courses of like, hey, rank and rent. You probably heard like rank and rent websites where like you would rank a website for let's say like lawnmowers, Long Island, and you would make a website there that you would rank to number one. And then you would call every business below you and say, hey, look, my website's number one. I'm going to charge you per lead whenever I give you a call of 20 bucks. So then like you, you would just redirect your number to the person you just sold the lead to and they, and they would pay you 20 bucks per call. And, oh, wow. I didn't yeah. even know about that. So that's like, a, that's like a different model where people teach all the time too. It's like rank your website number one and then sell it. It's like affiliate marketing for like local people because when they, they don't have any programs, right? But you're selling phone calls essentially. Right. And yeah. then how did you guys get your first clients at Voy Media? Because at that point you had, I mean, you could just go on Craigslist. You could literally just look on Google Maps and be like, who's around me and start cold calling businesses and be like, hey, I can bring you leads. Like that guy, who is that yeah. guy in California? Oh, he has so many online courses. I like see him on Facebook all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, is it... um. Oh, is it Billy Jean or no? Billy Jean. Yeah, yeah. Billy Jean. I was like, Billy Jean. Yeah. He does, right? Yeah. Like he just has a massive Facebook ads agency that now does online courses. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, how did you guys get your first clients then? So for us, while we were doing Boy Media, I was still doing SEO for Boy Media. So we were ranking like top three for like Facebook ads agency or Facebook ad agency at that time. And so basically we did Boy Media, but we weren't working on it. We just kind of like, I was kind of thinking about it as like an SEO experiment. I was like, oh, I want to see if I can rank an agency website. 
And then I started getting leads. I was actually in like Mexico on vacation. And I was just like, wow, I actually have a lead. And I was just like, and then I talked to Wilson. I was like, do we want to do this thing? Like, you know, it's like, it's working. yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's working. Do we want to do this thing? And we're just like thinking about the business model. Like, obviously you're not thinking about it too much. We're just like, I think we can make money. And then we're just like, let's do it. And then that's really like how it worked. And then, uh, because yeah, so then we started like that. That's how we got our first client was through like SEO. People just found us. Cause if you think about like agencies or something like this, it's like, that's why like something like this is great to be like top 10 for like SEO because people are just looking for options. So they're going to call like everybody on that list. So it's ver- versus like other search terms. Like if you're one or two, you're not going to get called. But for like agencies or even for cleaning companies, that's something I learned. It's like no matter what you are, like on the first page, people just want to know the prices. So they're mm-hmm. going to call every single person. So that's kind of like... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. On the first page, not yeah, the second. Not the, definitely, not, <laughs> definitely not the second page. Yeah. But like, uh, but you know, too, like if it's like an informational query of like how to you know, make ice cream, it's like the first or two, first one or two results are the ones that are going to look. Like no one cares about third or four. But when, right. it's like a, when it's like a high ticket service, like an agency, they're like, oh, I got to talk to everybody. Right? And yeah. 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 So it's like kind of like going back to like just like marketing or like search intent. You think about the intent of the user. Like, what would you do, right? Some people are like, what would you do if you were searching for this? You probably wouldn't just be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go with the first one. Like, let me call everybody because like, I want to see who's good, right? Yeah. And now I saw online, is this still accurate? It said that you guys were spending $1.2 million a month on ad spend on Facebook or on all the platforms? Yes. So right now we're doing about 2.5 a month. Okay. So we're, we're also like a Facebook preferred marketing partners. For us, like we wanted to get like really big. So like one of our big clients we work with, like like Cost, that clothing company. So we manage all their campaigns on Facebook, Canada, TikTok, and Snapchat. So for me, that's what I wanted to do because I was like, oh, like for me, it's a accomplishment. Like I've never had a marketing degree or background, but like I want to work with these big brands and how do I get there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so they basically found you as you were doing a good job and ranking on Google. Yeah. So they found us. And getting on all these lists, like top ad agencies and stuff. They found us through there. And then like I said, it's like we pitched them it's like, like, you know, a few month pitch of like, basically when you're pitching these companies, it's like, for at least for us, for like looking, okay, how do we pitch this? Like, because <laughs> it's like you, these big companies, it's like very different than a small business, right? So they're, right. Looking for, they're looking for stuff very different. But at the same time, this wasn't the first time we pitched a company that size. We pitched other ones and we've lost. And for me, we paid consultants to help us with those pitches. And at least for some people, they may be like, oh, wow, it's a waste of money. But I'm like, no, now I know for the next company what to do in order to win them. Yeah. It's always great to think about like, what can I take from that loss that's going to help me win the next one? And that's how kind of like I always think about it because I'm like, okay, now at least I didn't pitch them the first time. This is like my third or fourth pitch of a company this size. And now I can know. Now I know what they're looking for because what they're looking for is very different than like some smaller brands. So it's like different. That was another skill yeah. I had in that in that podcast was persistence. And it's just accepting that you're probably not going to get it right the first time and maybe not the first five yeah. times or the first 100 times, but eventually you're going to get it if you just keep going. So yeah, what would you say? So we talked about the opportunity for people who want to become digital nomads or just have extra revenue to work from home. Like this is definitely a learnable skill the same way you could learn how to set up like a drop shipping store, you know, mm-hmm. e-commerce, whatever. What are the opportunities for freelancers, online business owners to like learn this skill so that they can run their own Facebook ads to their business or their services. Because a lot of people are always asking me like, how do I get clients? And like Mm -hmm. part of it is hitting the ground, but part of it is also leveraging these technologies. Yeah, I think 
I always tell people this all the time. Like if you have a business, service-based business, online business, or anything that like you think marketing is going to... I think for any business, marketing is important. So I, I think it's a core skill they need to learn. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't market it yourself, then I think going to somebody else, like even for us, people come to us all the time. Hey, Kevin, I want you guys to run my, run my ads for me. And I'll be like, hey, have you done it yourself? And I'll tell them, no, like I can't do it for you because right now you're in this phase of trying to see does your product or service uh, make sense to the customers that you think are mm-hmm. your customers. And sometimes this is for experience. They'll come to us and they'll be like, oh, like you can't get me customers. You suck. But in my mind, I'm like, no, it's like your product sucks. Like, right. Yeah, no one wants your product. Yeah. 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 So but like, that's why I always tell people like, you need to do this first like five to 10K budget of testing yourself so you can actually see and feel that pain yourself before you go to the agency. Because if you spend 10K and no one's getting customers, you'll quickly realize it's not the agency, it's myself, right? Yeah, that's such good advice. Yeah, and going back to what I said before, you can learn Facebook ads in two to three months. You're not gonna be like, what we do here at Boy Media is maybe tweaks and optimizations, but the core skills is what we're gonna be doing too. Like adding your audiences, adding your creatives, adjusting the budgets. Like that's not like a hard sale. That's like, that's like the basics of Facebook ads. And again, going to something like Facebook or Google or even YouTube, they're making it even easier than ever before to put ads up because they want more businesses on their platform. They don't want it to be like this very crazy technical thing that people are like, oh, I don't know what to do because if they make it super technical, then small businesses like ourselves, we can't advertise on there. And they, they make more money from small businesses versus like the big Fortune 500. So yeah, they're spending tons, but it's like the 80-20 rule, like 80% of revenue comes from like these small businesses that rely on Facebook. It's cause it kind of goes back to like, you know, during the pandemic and during all this like political climate. And we were, I was talking to like the Washington Post and they're like, hey, like how are your clients reacting to the bands of like Coca-Cola or these big companies? I'm not sure which one's not. I'm like, yeah, these companies are happy. They need Facebook. Like that's their main revenue. So for them, it's like these stuff doesn't matter to them because this is really how they make money. And Facebook knows that. Like, yeah, one of these big brands pulls out 2 million. Every other company is like, great, I'm gonna put more money now because yeah. results are cheaper for me, right? It's such a good, crazy thing that these tech companies like Google and Facebook, just at least for small businesses, it's kind of like a hostage in a way because you need them and it's tough. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice too about like trying it yourself first before you hire someone else because I learned editing videos, for example. Yeah. And then I went to all of these companies that are like, we'll edit unlimited videos Mm -hmm. for you every month. And I tried two or three of them in a row. And after the first month, I just fired each of like, I'm like, I'm just going to use my same editor that, you know, now he's been working for me for two years because I know good editing and I know how to edit and I could see exactly where they were cutting corners and what they were doing wrong. And it's like, I'm going back into the video after trying to fix it up and like polish it. And I was just like, I'm not even a video editor. I just know how to edit video. So it's like, why am I better than the video editors that I'm hiring? And when you learn Facebook ads yourself or, or Instagram or these other types of ads, and then you get the basics down, you get your product right, and then you outsource that to someone else because you don't want to be the full-time Facebook ads person in your company, then you know if they know what they're doing. And so how many of us have like hired someone to do something and then you realize like you're better at it than they are and it's demotivating, but you got to know the basics so that you can find talent and know if they know how to do their job well, especially with all of these yahoos like and hacks on the internet being like, yeah, I know how to do 
Facebook ads. And it's like, they only know how to set up the audience and like run the ad that you did, but they don't know how to optimize it. They don't know how to AB test it. You can also go now, Facebook, Google, like all these companies have basically free online courses of how to use their (laughs) products and services. You don't have to pay someone else thousands of dollars to learn how to use these platforms when they even have like calls and videos and you can get like a rep to help you set things up. So everybody should take advantage of that. But then what are you guys focusing on when it comes to your ad spend? Are you still doing most of it on Facebook? Or like you mentioned, Instagram, YouTube, like how are you distributing kind of the budgets of these companies? Yeah. So yeah, I think what you said is so important learning yourself. And I think goes back to people always ask like, oh, then why do I need an agency? And really, it's kind of what you said too before. It's like, you need an agency because you don't want to be that full-time person managing everything and being the, because there's so much, I think like you probably know, and sometimes when people first start a business, they think that like a business is like not just one component. There's like 20 other things that you're doing that accounting, finance, like, like sales, like talking to people, customer service, email. it's like, there's so much more and like, you come to an agency like us because it's like, hey, this is working. I just can't do it myself. I need to focus on growing my own team internally, right? So that, I think yeah. that's where like, but at least for us, when we're managing campaigns, we're mostly doing everything like on Facebook mobile and Instagram mobile. Desktop is great, but the mobile sort of experience is just growing so much more. And even for us, uh, like stories are just getting so much more views and traffic now. So we're really focusing on like the mobile ads, unless it's like, like e-commerce is a lot of stuff we do. So like mobile is great. Unless it's like a high ticket thing, like a course or like a $10,000 thing, desktop is still much better for that because people still want to kind of like browse more or like they feel like want to commit more through like a desktop. It's like a different type of experience versus like a phone. It's like, oh, okay, whatever, $20 widget. I'll buy it and check it out, right? So, right, yeah, fake eyelashes on Instagram yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, let me just try these leggings again. Like, yeah, whatever. It's like, I'll return it if I don't like it, right? But it's like you're buying like a $10,000 course. It's like, all right, let me go Google reviews. Like blah, 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 reviews, right? Stuff like that, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then as your team, so you have about 25 people on your team. They're distributed. Like no one's in the office because of COVID. What is the extent of the creative work that you guys are doing? I mean, are you just taking what the brands give you from their in-house marketing team and then adapting it? Or are you actually creating from scratch the ads, the videos, that sort of stuff? And then how, yeah, how do you manage that remotely? So for us, we, we do both. So a lot of times clients will just give us their assets, uh, what they have, and then we'll make them into ads or creatives. But then we're also doing our own photo shoots and video shoots and content shoots as well. So Again, we have like a, a studio out in Slovenia where we do all our content shoots and video shoots there. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we get clients to just mail us the products there. And usually how it works is our creative director is based out of New York. So what we'll do is our creative director will think of like a creative pitch and then we'll sort of make all the scripts. It's kind of crazy because like we make all these videos. I'm like thinking about like you're kind of like making like a little mini movie. I was like, because you're looking for scripts, people. And I was like thinking about it recently. I was just like, maybe comedians or like writers that can't find jobs now because there's like no places to perform but they should go work at ad agencies because for us, we're always looking for like scripts that are funny, that are sales. So I was like, that's a pretty interesting niche that like, even for us, we just recently hired a comedian to make an ad for us. He's like, oh, this is great. Like, I didn't realize I could do ads. I'm like, it's, yeah, it's like, it's like kind of like interesting. I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a new job for, for people that like people before were like, oh, you're never gonna have a job. I'm like, ad people want this stuff now. Like I'm looking for writers all the time. Yeah, like, light yeah. bulb. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. had a girl in my Facebook group ask that, like how could she find more writing jobs and like, I was trying to think of unique ways yeah. that 
I mean, that's a skill that's applicable in everything. And I always think about that too, when I'm writing video scripts and, and outlining podcasts and writing medium articles and then recording voiceovers. I'm like, I'm basically my own movie studio. (laughs) But yeah. And the thing about it, I didn't get that. I didn't get why you probably watch shows and it's like credits, like these writers. I'm like, why do you have so many writers? And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, now it makes sense. Like, yeah, because the person talking isn't the person using the writing. They're just reading what someone else wrote. You look at someone like Jimmy Fallon, right? He doesn't write his stuff, but he's a, he has a comedian writer, write all his stuff. And then he's the funny one, but the writer is the one that's actually making the jokes for him. Right. Uh, yeah. It's like, I, oh, I wonder what it's like to just have yeah. one job. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That must be so easy. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense because like you probably hear like rappers and artists are like, oh, you don't write your own songs. Like someone like Drake. But like, if I were like someone like Drake, I'm like, yeah, like I'm gonna pay like 20 writers to just make me the best rap songs. And then I'm the one singing them because it's like, my dance. I was like, it makes sense now, right? That's why, like, totally. Yeah. Those so, big DJs, they have Russian producers yeah. writing their tracks. They're not producing electronic music tracks while touring in different cities every day. No. Yeah. They're barely like awake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that's sort of like just like this concept of even for like nomads or people like that are working remotely, outsourcing your work is great because you can make it so much better. And then you could still be the face of the company, like a podcast, for example. So, as you start learning more, you're like, oh, that job makes sense now. I was like, oh, that's why there's so many writers there. Like that makes so much sense to me because when I'm doing a podcast too, when one of my person writes my stuff for me, I'm like, this is so easy. I just talk and I don't have to think about it. <laughs> like, yeah. I just started yeah. outsourcing my podcast pages, like the show notes, because I was spending a lot of time on that. And I was like, why am I doing this? Because I'm already writing the podcast, finding guests, doing the interview, doing the research, listening back to it like two times. And then I'm like, okay, I need to cut myself off at some point. Well, I have a question for you about that with productivity. But first, so, okay, so you've got all these different remote teams in different places, different countries. Where are you guys communicating? Are you using Slack? Are you using project management tools? Or how are you managing those projects? And then how do you find time to do your podcast and your written content and your YouTube channel after your day job? So work-wise, so we use Slack a lot. It's probably the one number one tool that we use. But before that, we were using Dropbox Paper. Hmm. I'm not sure if you heard about that. It's basically kind of like Dropbox has like obviously the file storage, but they had this, like this paper thing that is kind of like a document that you can do more than Google Docs. And the reason why we used it was because my, my roommate in San Francisco was on the team that did, developed it. So he told me, he's like, oh, Kevin, can you guys try this? So he's my rolled roommate. His name is Adam. So he works at Dropbox. And then like, he oh. used it as far. So I was like, oh, we'll use it. And then we really liked it because it was kind of like very flexible. But as we got bigger, people were like, I don't think this is like a proper project management tool, right? So then when someone I hired, she was like, we need to use Asana. So then we started using Asana more. And then we hired somebody else. And then they took it to like another level of like templates and structures and assigning people. And I tell people all the time, it's like, it's great to like bring a project management tool. But then the hardest part is making sure everybody uses it. And that's like another initiative of like, and it sucks because it's like, no, stop messaging me about this this way. You got to use do it in Asana. Right. That's like another thing that a uh, skill that you need to develop for your team too. Whenever you bring in like new systems, because it's great. Everybody's excited for that one day. But I'm like, no, like that's not what we're doing anymore. You got to switch. So yeah. So like, do you have a project manager? Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who has a multi-million dollar online business and she manages the whole thing through like WhatsApp messages. And I was like, you are insane. That's so crazy. She's like, yeah, but nobody wants to use Asana. No one wants to use, no one wants to learn Monday. And I'm like, you're just 
losing so much productivity because like they're your employees. Like you say, like, don't message me, put it in the system so everyone can look at it and see what's going on. You need to just develop that thing internally because we were also like that. Slack was like for everything and Slack's great, but it's so hard to track due dates, track when stuff's like done. And I, I can't even imagine how you're doing that with WhatsApp. I'm just like, it's a stream like, of like asking people stream of content. Yeah. yeah where is this? Yeah. What is, and then the voice memos, like you can't tell what the content is in the memo. I'm like, you're insane. You see the voice memo, you're like, oh God, I don't want to click it. Cause then they'll know I read it. I, I didn't like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's like five minutes long. Yeah. You're like, are you kidding? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. yeah. So um, that's good. So you have, you and your co-founder are in different countries right now. Yeah. Where's Wilson? So Wilson's in Taiwan. I want. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So you've covered both time zones and then you have your project manager. Yeah. You've got mostly everyone putting their stuff in yeah. to the system. And then I guess it's all branding for your business, but it's also personal branding as well. Cause you're like the face of the company. Yeah. So for me, podcasting like this, it's kind of like, I just like have assistant who just sort of helps me schedule my podcast throughout the week. So like we have like a, my, she has access to my schedule. But then for my own podcast, we record every Friday, like 1 p.m. And that's when we record. And it's just like a thing we've been doing for the past like year or so. And like, it's like anything, productivity or, or anything in general. It's just like being consistent helps. Like I, I know I always record every Friday. So I know I have to have something. And it's like, versus like what I used to do before. And it's like, oh, I'll record one, one episode this week. And like, you wouldn't have it put anywhere. And then like, you would forget. And it's like, oh yeah, I'll just do it Saturday. And it's like, oh, Saturday. I kind of want just to hang out on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so. yeah. I do all my calls on Fridays now. Like, yeah. well, we did this one today because I had to cancel our other call. But I usually have, yeah, podcast interviews and consulting calls baked into my calendar on Friday. So I just know what I'm doing that day. Yeah. And then you get in the mode and you can stand and walk around and just be on the phone all day. Yeah. And then... I kind of feel burnt out at the end of the day, but it's way better than doing calls every day. Yeah. And that's also been kind of fun, as you were saying at the very beginning of the interview, through all the places that you've lived, like you could be in Taiwan or Portugal. I used to be walking on the beach in Costa Rica and there's like toucans in the background, or I would be walking on the beach in Florida and it's like the sound of the ocean and the birds. People are always like, where are you? I'm like, I might as well get my 10,000 steps in while I'm talking to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's good batching. Batching is very, very good. I think it's very important. Yeah. And like just setting time to just even blocking out a full day just to work on stuff. And I think that's so important. If you can't, it's another thing I tell my teammates to do is I'm not sure if you heard it, like the Pomodoro technique is pretty mm-hmm. effective. Yeah. So uh, Pomodoro technique, I think a lot of people real, don't realize how much work they can d- get done in like a 25 minute block of just pure work time. I always tell people like, this is probably like the basic productivity technique. And then if you want more, go, go and do more. But with anything like that, at least for you probably are the same way too. Like if I see myself doing something more than once, I will then go to Google. Like I keep doing this thing. How do I like not do it over and over again? Right. It's like, which is so funny because I tell people that all the time. They're like, I would never think about that. I'm like, what? Like, I see myself copying, pasting, and shortcutting all this crazy shit. I'm just like, I'm like, okay, I'm taking a screenshot. I'm dragging it here. I'm like, how do I do this in like one move? And then I'm like, oh, this is the move. And I'm like, all right, great. I save so much time. Yeah. Totally. I'm always Googling those kinds of shortcuts and yeah. things. And because I'm like, what am I, why am I doing this over and over again? Like a yeah. robot. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, work from home productivity or remote work productivity is really, I think it's like a lifelong challenge. And I mean, everyone who works from home, 99% of people, according to 
some of those corporate research yeah. studies, they never want to go back to the office because like, why would you? I mean, maybe sometimes yeah. or maybe to co-working spaces or maybe for events and conferences, but like for the most part, you know, even though there's pros and cons of working from home or working from anywhere, like it's still better than commuting to cubicles and stuff, unless there's some specific reason to go that day. But some of the things I've been, I guess, experimenting with is I like the Pomodoro technique, but depending on the work, because sometimes if you need to do like focus deep work, you need to get in flow and that's going to take you into like this one, two, four hour period. Yep. And so for everyone listening to like, I've kind of been balancing the Pomodoro technique. I've done something called like my power hour at the okay. end of the day, yeah. where I just try to do like 15 minute increments of tasks that I haven't done yet. And I just try to knock them out really quick. Because otherwise a task fills, yep. expands to fill the time that you give it. But then there's other things I've been doing, which a guy and my mastermind and I have been doing where we pick one task to work on for the whole day. And that's also really productive because you yep. don't have to be like, okay, I have like two hours to work on this. And then I have a phone call and then I have a Zoom meeting and then I'm going to eat lunch and then yeah. I'm gonna answer email. It's like your brain gets split up. But if you have like a really intense task, like let's say, like editing a video. It's like something that can take many, many hours. (laughs) Like it can take 10 hours to do. I'm like, I'm just going to work on this video all day until it's done Yep. and then go play or whatever. So that's, I guess my tip to piggyback off of what you said. And then you just keep doing it until it stops working. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, I want a different technique because you got tired of that technique and you look for something else. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you one more thing before we get into like some of like the lightning round. You've done a lot of case studies on different companies that I've seen when I was Googling you (laughs) from Squatty Potty to like Magic Spoon Cereal. And I've listened to some of your podcasts and interviews. So like it it brings me back to business school doing these case studies. But do you find that that has been helpful in inspiring you in your creative company? And what are some of the insights that you've gotten from breaking down the marketing strategies of these big companies? Yeah, I think for like we, yeah, we do a lot of breakdowns of like some of the other marketing companies. And really it's for me, it's just because I like learning to see what they're doing, but also it's helpful for me to sort of like a lot of times these brands that you work with, they're looking for like what makes other brands different. And then showing these sort of cases and breakdowns allows me to say, Hey, look, this is what makes Squatty Potty different than what you're doing. Like, Like really, it's like your brand's very boring. And why does this company stick out? Because they're very unique and this is what they're doing. And sometimes for me, it's as a way to tell other founders, people saying like, hey, like you're being very like vanilla. Like the companies are sticking out are doing this. And that's why you like them. And I'll show them, hey, look, like what companies do you like? I just like usually ask them. And I'm like, then I'll do a case study. I'm like, oh, by the way, I just did a case study on this brand. And it (laughs) kind of like helps me like, it's like anything, any big brand that you see right now, there's a reason why. It's because they're probably controversial. They're different. They're unique. And I like to sort of use these cases to show them too. And also just like for my own team to uh, think about creative ideas that we can do. Um, because it's sort of, it doesn't help as just like a YouTube video, but it's also for like internal training uh, videos that uh, our creative team can watch. Say, hey, look, this brand is really good. Here are the videos they're running. Here's how they're thinking about it. But that's kind of like how we think about it there. Because I try to think about like, what would make a client basically change their mindset of like how they think about their brand. A lot of people are just very conservative about their brand, even though there's like no brand, right? It's like, like you have no brand, but like, okay, hey, look at the ones that you look up to and then go check there. Yeah. And that's another good argument for 
people to look up from their work sometimes, because when you're filling every hour of the day with something on your to-do list, you don't have that time to kind of reflect and just think and wonder and daydream and strategize and, and just go down the rabbit hole of what other people are doing. Instead of looking at them as competitors, even because a lot of companies are always jockeying for position against their competitors, it's like looking across industries at what different companies are doing. And like, I don't have a cereal company, Mm -hmm. but I really like Magic Spoon's simple, clean website, their colors, their call to action. Like as a e-commerce site, if you want to get people to buy cereal, it really works. And it gives me ideas where I look at my website and I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) I need to redo everything. So I would recommend people to do that. And I also recommend people to if there's like a company that you're interested in to look for interviews with the CEOs of those companies because you can usually get lots of gold that you're not going to find in a Forbes article or something like that. I think it's such a great tip because that's what exactly what I do. Like the great thing about podcasts too is if you go to like all these like entrepreneurship podcasts of the founders, the founders will tell you like everything they're doing and like it just comes out. They have no filter. Yeah, it just comes out. But versus like writing an article they'll be like more like, okay, let me Spencer. not put that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I think what you said is such a great tip. Like, for example, like I like looking at the brand that I really like nowadays is I just did a case study of them. Hims, like ED pill. And if you look at like the founder, I think it was like, I forgot what his name was. And I just went to the iTunes director and searched for his name. And there's so much good stuff about how they grew the company, how they thought of the company, how they got ad placements. I was like, whoa, like this is crazy. Wow. Like this guy's so smart. And it just gives me ideas. And I tell people like, I like listening to this stuff too, because when I'm talking to potential founders or prospects, I'm like, oh yeah, remember that from this podcast. Let me say this. And like, think it's like a unique idea. Right? So, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I love like learning. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to learn. And I actually shout out to one of my consulting clients. Her name's Ava. She's starting her own Instagram ad company, basically, yeah. or like an Instagram management company. I've been working with her for a few months and I told her, I gave her the names of some Instagram TV people who I had seen speak at conferences and even looking at LinkedIn or, you know, looking at who's working at the company in the departments that you are building a business off of. So it's like, you want to look at the employees of that company and who's the head of marketing or who's the head of Instagram reels or whatever, and then try to Google them and find articles or interviews or anything that they've done where they're dropping value bombs, basically, because probably 0% of people are doing that. And you can just get a lot of info. So great tips. All right, well, let's get into a little bit of a lightning round here. What is your favorite leisure travel destination? And what is your favorite remote work destination? Oh, I like so my favorite leisure one. I probably like going to El Salvador, which is where my family's from. Um, So that's like Central America. Uh, I used to go there all the time growing up. Uh, So I like going there just to visit family and just kind of like relaxing, kind of like just very different than New York City. So when I travel, I'm pretty used to like a lot of these places as being very different than United States because I was like always was there. But my favorite works place to go, I really love Taiwan. I'm trying to go back in December. So I just applied for like the Taiwan gold card so I can go in during the pandemic. So I'm, I'm hoping I just actually just got it. So I'm going to go to the consulate to like get my visa or whatever. Oh, what is that? I haven't researched that yet. It's called like Taiwan Gold Employment Card. And it basically allows you to go there even during this pandemic. And you have like, a, it's like a seven year employment visa. 
Um, you need to meet, meet some qualifications, like the economic qualifications, uh, which is like making over 60K a year. And then that's it. And then you pay $200 and then within a month, they're like, okay, cool, come. I got to do a video on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Wilson was like, telling me about it. He's like, oh, you should come. And I was like, I can't. He's like, oh, you should do this thing. And I was like, and I, and he's like, and then he researched it for me. And then he like told me all the stuff. And I was like, I did it within a month. I got approved. And, and now I just got to, I can go travel. And obviously not, I'm not going to go now, but like in December, I want to go for like a month or so. Nice. Yeah. And then in El Salvador, which city do you stay in? Or do you go to the beach? So our family grew up in this place like called like El Volcan, which is like about 20, 30 minutes away from San Miguel, which is like the metro center. So that's kind of like more like a city. But we usually sometimes, it's like more like kind of like a very like poorish town, which is my grandma lives there, like a kind of like a little farm there. But usually we like to go to like San Salvador, which is like the capital, because that's like more like a city when like, obviously like any of these countries, like as now they have internet, they have Wi-Fi and better places like to go and a little bit safer now with like the new government there. So. Yeah, I know. I, I used to live in Nicaragua in 2008 yeah. and I could, <laughs> I always left. I could see El Salvador from my house, yeah. but I could literally see Alaska from my house yeah. or what's their name say? I could see Russia from my house, yeah. but um, I could see the, the volcanoes and the mountains yeah. there in that bay right between Nicaragua and El Salvador Yeah, and took some boats <laughs> up there. But it was dangerous about at least, I guess that was 12 years ago now. Jeez. Yeah, because the Salvador is right in the ring of fire. So they have like five volcanoes. I think two are active. So we live going up one of the active volcanoes. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, it's the last time like there was like something was like, I think 2012 and it was just like ashes and smoke. But it's like, we told my grandma, like, it's like someone's asking me like, oh, would you ever move out there? I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't live there. But like the people that live there would never move there. Because even my grandma, she's like, I grew up here. I'm never leaving. She's like, if I die, I die. I'm like, all right. Like, <laughs> We're coming like, to yeah, you. Yeah. But it's like that like mentality because like, you're never going to force them to leave like their hometown. Right. So it's like, right. It's, uh, yeah. so, but it's, it's a different world these yeah. days. Is there anywhere on your bucket list after Taiwan? I want to go to Bali. I've never been there. So yeah, it's like one of the places I really wanted to go. Hopefully it reopens in yeah. 2021. We'll see. Yeah. And can you recommend some marketing books or I know I've seen a lot of your reading lists and book lists online. Um, do you have any favorites that you can recommend to our listeners? Yeah. So my favorite book, which I think every business owner should read is Dotcom Secrets by Russell Brunson. I think it's, yeah, it's the best book. It teaches you everything you need to about funnel building, traffic, and just like, it's not a, sometimes people want these books are very like, how to do this on Facebook ads. It's more of like a general mindset type of book of how to think about building traffic and funnels and bringing customers. And that's why I think it's so useful because it's very different than what most people teach online. And Russell has done it over and over again. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's probably one of my favorite books. I have that book here on my bookshelf. I have not finished it yet, but yeah. I just had a call with one of my friends in Amsterdam. We do like a quarterly mastermind and um, just check in with each other. He's a writer and has an online business and he read all of that. It's like a trilogy yeah. of books. And he's like, you need to read these. Like, It's the best books. Yeah. Yeah. Doc, yeah. Like, yeah. It's so good. Nice. And do you have any technology remote work tools that you use on the road? Or are you just kind of like an iPhone and a laptop person? Yeah, mostly iPhone, laptop, Slack apps. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much, yeah, most of the stuff like my MacBook. Yeah, nothing else, I think. Yeah, minimalist. Yeah. I'm going to plug my store again because I have yeah. a minimalist digital nomad set up in my Amazon store too, because less is more. Yeah, you don't need too much. Like, it plus, like, just causes unnecessary stress. 
If you can't do everything in your laptop, then maybe you need to figure out like softwares or tools are available online. That way you're not like carrying all this other stuff. Yeah. You don't want to have a lot of luggage. I know from yeah. experience. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. always overpack. Yeah. And so how can people connect with you and um, maybe get some of your services through Voy Media or also find your analyses on digital marketing and your podcast? Give us the list. Yeah. So my website, I guess Voy Media's website is voymedia.com. That's V-O-Y. Uh, Voy is actually go in Spanish. So I wanted to do something that was like Hispanic, like my family. So I just randomly made it up. Like I was like, okay, let me just do this. So you can just go there, Kevin at Voy Media. And then for our podcast, our podcast is called Digital Marketing Fastlane. And then you can search for that on iTunes, but also for the YouTube videos, you can just search for my name or Digital Marketing Fastlane. And that's pretty much where you can find that stuff too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for sharing your secrets with us. Yeah. I'm definitely inspired to clean some things up in my business and <laughs> yeah. refocus on this because I haven't been using Facebook ads lately this year. But thanks so much for uh, your tips on building an agency business and everything. And we will see you somewhere. We'll see you online yeah. or in Taiwan. I hope so. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I can't wait. Yeah. Stay safe up there. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and remember to leave a review for the podcast wherever you listen and share this episode with someone you think it might help.